Welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I am here with Amanda today, and we have kind of a hodgepodge collection of things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the writing and publishing of Charlotte's Web, and then Amanda has some adult fiction books that you may possibly have missed and might want to add to your pile, and then we have some books that we are going to share with you that we just finished reading. Mine are all picture books, so we got some kids and adults stuff mixed together here today, and I think I'm going to start. Amanda, I have been reading this book, and I am completely obsessed. So it's called Dear Genius, and it's the letters of Ursula Nordstrom. Ursula was the director of Harper's Department of Books for Boys and Girls from 1940 to 1973. And this is a collection of her side of the letters. So you don't get to hear people's responses. She references their responses a lot. But like all these authors, children's authors that I just absolutely adore, she has these letters going back and forth with them and also with their spouses or their children. Like she was so relational in how she did her job and she had so much direct power and influence in getting these books to print and then actually having a whole bunch of say in the illustrations and the formatting and chapter changes. I was reading earlier today where she was talking to Garth Williams about how he was getting ready to illustrate the Little Women books. That's his name, right? Garth Williams? All of a sudden, I'm second I believe myself. so. Yeah. He illustrated some of the Charlotte Zolotow books I love, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she was writing to him about how he was going to be meeting with Lars daughter and how it would be in his best interest to mention the fact that he was available to meet with her mother because she would really like that and that she thought that this was just going to go so well for all of them. And then there were other times where she has to like turn an author down for a book that I know got published and she's like so apologetic and she's she's like, you know, I, we loved the last book of yours that we published and we're brokenhearted because if you take this to another publisher, you might just stay with them for your next book. But we really want you to come back again. We just don't feel that this book is the right fit either for the time period or alongside the other books that they were publishing at the same time. Like maybe they already had a dancing bear that they were publishing, so they didn't need a, a separate dancing bear book. But what I was really excited about today was I stumbled upon, oh, first of all, so there, there's some language warning in this, just mild, what would be considered more like mild swear words. I won't be saying any of them today. They aren't in these letters. But if you were wondering if this was a book to read with your kids, it probably wouldn't be as interesting to them. And there is the language um, that I've come across so far. So what I liked today was I came across her letters with E.B. White. And in there's a lot of footnotes throughout this that like tells you what book they're referencing when they say your new book. It's like, oh, this is the book they're talking about. And so I thought I would just share a little bit of the, the letters with you. Okay. So March 19th, 1951 to E.B. White. Also, I would like to say that I think the Postal Service was crazy back then because she's constantly writing people letters and saying, give me a ring this afternoon. <laughs> like she's writing them letters because they didn't answer their phone and the letters are getting to them. And she's like, call me when you get back home and stop going out and gadabouting because I need you to be ready to answer the phone when I call you. <laughs> it's so funny. It takes like uh, like four days for a letter I'm to get from me to you. Yeah, I'm like wondering. I'm wondering if a lot of the people she's writing to are like in New York City with her, yeah. and so they just were getting different type of mail at that time. But Must so be. 1951, dear Mr. White, thanks for your letter telling me that you've recently finished another children's book. The footnotes tell us that this will be Charlotte's Web. That's the best news I've had in a long, long time. We assume that you will want Garth Williams to illustrate it, and I'm warning him to keep his schedule as flexible as possible. We know you can't possibly say when you think, quote, the body heat, end quote, will go out of your story, and we'll welcome it whenever it comes. I'll just keep hoping for that Garth won't be in the middle of anything with an urgent deadline for Simon & Schuster. 
any Harper book he ever does is given to him with the understanding that he can stop work on it the minute the E.B. White manuscript arrives. I wish I could speak as firmly for Simon and Schuster. I've been a little afraid to answer your letter. I don't want to write anything that might seem pushy. I hope I haven't. Yours sincerely. And then there's some back and forth about illustrations. And she says to E.B. White, Dear Andy, I am glad you are too exhausted to call me Miss Nordstrom any longer. We will save a great deal of typing time. The copy of American Spiders came and we sent it right away to Garth. We also sent him the New York Public Library slip on the McCook books. As you have probably heard from him, he loves Charlotte's Web as much as I do and is at work on the illustrations. You'll see some soon. The advertising department is preparing copy for Charlotte's Web, and we will send it to you for your comments. There is no rush for jacket copy, of course, but there is for catalog copy. No, I have never encountered any story plot like Charlotte's Web. I do not believe that any other writer has ever told about a spider writing words in its web. Perhaps I should ask some of the children's book ladies who go back even further in time than I do, but I am sure nothing even remotely like this has been written. I believe Charlotte is the first spider since Miss Muffet's. Yours sincerely. And then we have a letter to Catherine S. White, so E.B.'s wife, where she's talking about how she enjoyed dining with her and her husband the last night and that Fern will be appearing in many drawings and she thinks that you'll both like them. And then she is consulting with her about the fact that she had given E.B. some notes on a title at the, of a chapter at the end of the book that was a little too revealing of what was going to happen in said chapter. I don't want to say anything because it's a spoiler if you haven't read it yet. So then in July 10th of 1952, so this kind of gives us an idea of like the process time period of how these things go. So she got the manuscript. March 19th of 1951, and then we're here in July of 1952. Dear Andy, here is a rough proof of the jacket. I've been hoping to get a corrected proof to send you, but guess I'll send this uncorrected one now. The green will be brighter and will therefore brighten the entire jacket. Do you like it? Everyone here loves it, and we hope you both will too. I would have thanked you before this for your promptness in commenting on the photostats of Garth's pictures, but 5,000 librarians met in convention here on June 28th. The convention ran from July 5th, and I was out of the office all the time, smiling at each of the 5,000 librarians and, of course, telling them about Charlotte's Web. There is a great deal of advanced interest and enthusiasm for the book, of course. One earnest lady said to me, Miss Nordstrom, do you realize that Charlotte is the third spider to appear in children's literature? There was Miss Muffet's, there was Robert Bruce's, and now there is Charlotte. I said I realized it. We removed the foot here and changed the lettering on the carnival picture, and we are about to find a good place for that picture of Templeton. You are right about not putting him opposite the title page, of course, and we should have realized it ourselves. The pictures to be changed were sent to Garth in Colorado the day we heard from you. I am sure he will make the necessary corrections and return them promptly. We'll send you photostats of them as soon as we receive them. If I go away for a vacation, my assistant will send the corrected drawings to you. Best wishes. And then I like how, um, so she's expanded now, right? From thinking that there's two Charlotte stories to knowing that there's three. And she's going to reference what the third one is. Dear Andy, I enclosed proofs of the pictures Garth redrew. Are they all right? The manufacturing department had cuts made instead of photostats, but please know the changes can still be made if the three new pictures are not exactly right. On number one, Garth changed the position of the door. On number two, he redid it so that Fern has hair more consistent with the other drawings. And on number three, he redrew it He redrew it so Mrs. Arabelle looks less like a young girl and more like herself in the other drawings. On three, if you agree, I feel Mrs. Arabelle looks a little bit whiskery, and we can have a couple of the little lines taken out. I may be imagining it, though. <laughs> yes, I met Robert the Bruce. All I remember from my second grade reader is Robert the Bruce was losing some war, and he was discouraged, and he was about to give up, and he flung himself down in the meadow to think things over. At that point in his life, he saw a spider spinning a web. Something suddenly tore her web, a branch, the wind, some animal, and though it was ruined, 
she just started to spin another. Just as she was about to finish the second web, something else came along and tore it, so she started to do it a third time, and the third time she was successful. So Robert the Bruce thought to himself that if the spider wasn't discouraged, he shouldn't be either. And he picked himself up off the grass and went off and won the war, or something like that. The prose style in my reader was better, of course. Now, I'm not at all sure that is the right story, so I asked the president of Harper and Brothers, the great Scott, Frank S. McGregor. He says my reader was all wrong, and that Robert the Bruce was an exile in a cell, and he saw the spider in his cell try over and over again to spin a web, and that the spider inspired him to escape, and he eventually won the war. However, it goes, it isn't much of a story, and no competition, of course, for your spider. Please forgive this messy letter. It is late on Friday, and I want to mail these proofs to you for your approval or disapproval. I'm so glad you liked the jacket. The end paper came in yesterday from Garth, and I'm sure you will love it. I'll send you a proof as soon as possible. As always, please remember that it can be redone, if not just what you thought it would be. Yours sincerely. I just They're love so it. They're so conversational. <laughs> they are. I want to write letters to people like after reading her letters. I'm like, if anybody would write back like this, it's so fun. And she, she knows everything about everybody. Like she's asking questions about people and how their grandsons are. And if their granddaughter liked the new doll she got for Christmas, and if the grandson liked the bike he got for his birthday and how this person's college graduation was. And if this person's kid was still away in Europe, like, she had to have a Rolodex or just an incredible memory. But I mean, she did remember this book from second grade pretty intensely or, or not intensely. What's the word I'm looking for? Detailed in some good detail for that Robert the Bruce story. When did Charlotte's Web come out? Because it's sounding all like 1960s businessy where we actually like have cocktails over our business meeting and like, yeah, not, not like today, like get it all done. Bam, bam, bam. Right. Yeah. I'm going to check that publication date real fast. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I I do like the pace at which a lot of these things worked. So it came out in 1952. So there was not not a long gap between those last publication prints that they were sending back and forth and the actual publication. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I just I've really been enjoying just getting to see some of these authors' lives and she she holds nothing back. Like she'll reprimand people and she'll be very opinionated and then in the <laughs> letter she might apologize for something she said at a dinner party and that she just wasn't herself or that it was the stress of this and that and there was one where she like did not like the illustrations at all. And she basically was like, this is not your best work. I think you should just start over. <laughs> Ouch. I can't even imagine. So yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying just the look behind the scenes of the publishing world. And it makes it sound so fun. Yeah, I think it was different in the 50s compared to what people I know who are authors now say about their experience in general, but it just, it's like this time capsule. It almost reminds me of 84 Char and Crossroad, just how mm -hmm. conversation their, conversational their letters were and how, how much they just were just these little like snapshots of their life. Like, this is what I did. This is how things were. How are you? And mm -hmm. I, I like it. It's, it's better than a five-word text, getting a two-word text back if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But what do you have for us? I know you have a nice stack going there. <laughs> I do have a stack. I, this was the week or two that I finished things. Nice. So That feels good. It does feel good, especially since the first book I finished was Joe's Boys, Aww. which is only like 300 and something pages long. But it has been mine and my daughter's lunch read for mm. months mm -hmm. because I read to them after I finish eating, before they finish eating. Mm -hmm. So usually I get like two, three pages in, maybe, if I'm really yeah. lucky. Sometimes if they're really fast eaters, I get half a page in. <laughs> so it takes <laughs> forever. But yeah, we get more books in that way. And it was good, not as much a favorite as Little Women by any mm -hmm. means, but it was 
a nice ending to the story. Yeah. How did they <laughs> How did you like it compared to Little Men? I liked it about the same as I liked Little Men. So Little Women definitely I liked a lot more and then Little Men and Joe's Boys I liked about the same. Yeah. I found I don't- it so funny that uh Louisa Alcott wrote about uh how much she Mrs. Joe found being a famous writer inconvenient. <laughs> it made me wonder if like she's just writing her own experiences into yeah. the book. But I wouldn't be surprised. Have you read I, it? Did you like it? I, I have read them. I have not read them in a very long time. I've read Little Men more recently than mm-hmm. Joe's Boys. But I I really think that like Joe's Boys and Little Men other order little men and joe's boys are basically like living book parenting books like -hmm. if you want to if you want a parenting book but you want a living book too like that's a good place to go obviously it wasn't perfect and they're living in a different time but a lot of the concepts and practices and how they lived out love in these challenging situations with challenging kids is just a really good blueprint for for a good launching point when you absolutely getting going. and because in the books they have these kids that they've brought into their lives mm-hmm. they have a lot more range of parenting issues that they're dealing with which is interesting yeah definitely it's probably like just a good read for parents that are looking into foster care or adoption mm-hmm. just get a feel for i mean obviously these aren't completely realistic and so the problems that kids are having are a lot more scaled down than some of the issues people are facing today. But I feel like the heart is there, like the heart of Joe and the professor and the kids aren't perfect, which I liked as a kid. I liked having a book where there were kids that weren't saints and were having some of the same struggles in life that I was. I found it a little shocking at the end because Joe and Mr. Bear are reflecting on all the kids that have gone through their school and grown up. And they say, well, some of them are failures, but some of them turned out well. And it's like, just, I don't, it seems very politically incorrect to be like, yeah, well, some of the kids turned out as failures, but hey, we did our best. But I mean, people make their own choices and you can't guarantee that every child you raise is going to turn out the way you would want. As Charlotte Mason says, children are born people. Like they're going they to make their decisions. They're going to be who they're going to be. And yep. there's only so much you can do as a parent. Did you so, uh, bring anything Jane Austen related? I think you said you were. I did. That's not what I finished reading recently or anything. But oh. you were talking about books that people have missed as or. Yeah. That don't get the playtime. They kind and of fall one through thing, the cracks. They fall through the, cra- through the cracks, yes. One thing that apparently is true for me and not a lot of other people is as I've been reading Jane Austen's works, I look at the books that she mentions in them and get them because, yeah. I don't know, it sounds interesting. So we have, I have Romance of the Forest and Mysteries of Udolpho, both by Anne Radcliffe, both very, very gothic, very gothic romances, but not like the Brontes. Mm-hmm. A lot more um, positive and hopeful, and the characters, there are truly evil characters in there, but there's also very noble characters, which um, noble and, for lack of a better term, like, unpolluted like not having made bad decisions yeah in the past and so a lot of people might find it kind of a saccharine sweet if you didn't like little women because it was too sweet probably won't like these but mm-hmm. if you love mystery and intrigue and the gothic style and very descriptive nature scenes yeah you like these i nice. i don't know what it is about it but i love the descriptive nature scenes with a bucolic imagery right so you said they're for adults is there anything that would keep an older teen 
from enjoying them or it being appropriate for them? You can think so, of. I do not believe there is. There's definitely some scarier bits mm-hmm. uh, with because it's gothic. There's mystery and darkness and there's some evil characters that are manipulating and wanting to murder people and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of force people into marriages or uh, if you can imagine controlling, if you can imagine like Joe's in Little Women, Joe's rogues that she writes, they're just evil counts. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get that kind of thing. Okay. But it's uh mm-hmm. there's there's definitely a theme throughout of maintaining your integrity mm-hmm. uh Good. that you'll find. So there's in them in a while, but I yeah. don't think there's anything stopping an older teen other than that. They are a little bit wordy. They're not yeah short books by any means. I mean, this one is like 600 pages and it's small font. Yeah. So. Nice. It has to be something that, it has to be a style that you like to make it through. Right. I don't know if I told you that I was looking for these, but on the topic of Jane Austen and extra reading, I know that one of her literary idols was Maria Edgeworth. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to find her books for a very long time. And I bought a lot like three years ago and they canceled my order. And I'm sure they realized that they were worth a whole lot more than my bid had gotten them for. Were they like was... original copies? Yeah, they were. Oh, it was like, okay. it was a set and I was so disappointed. So I've been watching and patiently waiting and they just don't come up and they come up one volume at a time and they're in tatters. Well loved. So that says something for them. But I finally found this little lot of 10 books, not all Edgeworths. It's a collection. I'm not really sure what they are, but they're just these like little red books with gold, oh, that's pretty. gold type. And there's three of them that are Edgeworths. And there's Popular Tales, Popular Tales Volume 2, and Moral Tales. So I thought that those might be fun this coming winter to just read around the fire with the girls. It just... You know, I wonder to get, if they're, get an insight. I but kind I of got this whole lot. Are. I just have to tell you, I got the whole lot for $17 with shipping. Nice. Yeah. I was expecting was that they're long. I don't know. I don't well, think they're short tales. stories. Maybe no. tales. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it would be like a collection of short stories. I haven't really had time to dive into them yet. But well, let me know. Maybe, I yeah. have looked into her books before, but never bought, never actually sat down and bought them and read them. So. Yeah, I know her novels are are long. Like all the books that I see are pretty fat mm-hmm. on eBay. But did she write Belinda? I feel like maybe that was one of hers. I have no idea. I can't speak to it. <laughs> it well, let guessing. me know how you like them. <laughs> I will. I will definitely let you know how you li- how I like them. And then I have a picture book that I want to share that I finished reading. And actually, I finished reading it for the third time yesterday without my kids. I honestly can't even remember if I've read this to my kids yet. (laughs) I'm just so excited to do so. And I keep reading it. So it's called Be Kind by Pat Zeitlow Miller, illustrated by Jen Hill. And I have been reading a lot of books on emotional intelligence and themes such as kindness. And there's a lot of really good kindness books out there that I've read. But what sets this one apart is it answers the question, what does it mean to be kind? And the other books are much more just be kind to one another. And if you're kind, and they might illustrate it like in the illustrations, but this one has, it it opens with this little girl who, so that's school and the little girl spills grape juice on her new dress and is highly embarrassed and sad about it. And everybody laughs at her except our kid. And it says that he almost did, but his mom tells him to be kind. So he tried, tried to be kind. And he doesn't think that his attempt work. His attempt was to say to her, purple is my favorite color. And he thought she would smile, but she runs into the hall instead. So he is just putting so much thought into this. And he's like, I I wanted, I almost told Tanisha that art was my favorite class, but I didn't want her to leave again. 
So I painted purple splotches and added some green until I had a bunch of beautiful violets. And while I painted, I thought about her. So he starts thinking, like, what should I have done in that situation? And he's like, should I have given her a napkin? Should I have let her borrow my sweatshirt? Should I have spilled my juice so that everyone would look at me instead? What does it mean to be kind anyway? So then he has a whole bunch of, like, different situations that he's thinking of where he has been kind or things that he can do to be kind. Like, maybe it's helping. And I like how they highlight in purple the things like maybe it's giving. And so because purple is what she spilled, like that's Mm -hmm. the theme color. Maybe it's helping and um, maybe it's paying attention and listening to (laughs) this one. I know. I remember now I did read this one to my kids because this one is listening to Aunt Franny's stories, even the ones I've heard before. And I have a kid who is known for responding to things that he's heard before with, I know, I already know, because he feels like you're <laughs> insulting him by telling uh-huh. him something he already knows. But it's like, no, I just, I forgot I told you, or I was just, you know, so we were able to have a good conversation about that. And so it it says that I, I like these examples that they give. So one is that the quickest way to be kind is to use someone's name. And that's a really good one that. I, I can't think of other books that I've read where they like teach kids yeah. that like saying someone's name is a way to connect to them and be kind. Like these are great skills to be learning this early. So Absolutely. it's like, good afternoon, Rabbi. What's new, Omar? Hey, Kayla. And that, that being kind should be easy, but that being kind can be hard too. And so I like that contrast. So It combines patience with kindness. So it says, even you know, sometimes it's tricky, even when I'm being patient and that sticking up for other kids is kind, but really hard and really scary. Like it just really shows what it's like. And so then he says, you know, maybe I can't solve Tanisha's grape juice problem. Maybe all I can do is sit by her in art Mm -hmm. because she's she's still just there sad. And he says, you know, maybe it's just small things. So either way, all throughout it, it. It gives these great conglomeration pictures of multiple ways that people can do it, right? Like welcoming soldiers home, um, going and doing some funerary experiences with different people, helping someone up that falls, books that have fallen, giving a pregnant woman your seat on the train, helping somebody who has broken glasses. And I like how how it's not... um, and oh, and how this is applicable around the world. So we have, you know, people that are wearing hijabs and people that are in villages and tribal clothing mm-hmm. in Africa and, you know, helping people get their books down. And there's mosques and there's pyramids and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So just these little tiny sketches all throughout the illustration that, you know, show that this is a, a global behavior that we want to have. And then it shows it like back in his school school like how different people are doing it and not to give it away or anything but he gives Tanisha the picture and she still just looks kind of sad I don't know how well you can Mm -hmm. see that so it doesn't magically change things in that moment but what we see that he doesn't see is that she takes the picture home and she hangs it on her bedroom wall so his act of kindness was well received and did make a difference for her. So I really like that. Again, it's Be Kind by Pat Miller for actually teaching how to be kind and things that just increase your emotional intelligence, like calling someone by their first name and learning their names that I'm I'm not seeing covered in a whole bunch of these that's great. picture books. I have. That's great. And yeah, we need things that take it to the next level like mm-hmm. you can say kind to you know be kind till you're blue in the face but right. if you don't actually ever teach your kids how to be kind yeah or things they can do to be kind it doesn't move the needle right exactly but that brings to mind a picture book that I have here yeah that I got because you had recommended another book by Phoebe Wall and you probably yeah. haven't checked out from your library so Sonia's Chickens it. Yes. So I got this one called The Blue House, which I think Mm -hmm. you said you have not read. I haven't. And this one 
I read it. I liked it. But then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Mm-hmm. First of all, of all, the illustrations are beautiful. Yeah. But there are a million moving to a new house stories. Yeah. And this one is really different because it features a boy and his dad. And instead of uh, moving to a new house that is just generic, I'm going to have to find a new school and find new friends, it actually focuses more on housing insecurity. Hmm. So they live in this blue house. Mm-hmm. We learn that this in this blue house, they have parties, dance parties, and they love their blue house, and this is where they feel at home, but the roof leaks. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of problems with this house. Mm-hmm. So even though they love it, there are problems with this house, and we learn later that a lot of the houses in the neighborhood are being torn down. And they learn that their house is being torn down. And the boy is sad and angry. And they have to find a new place to live. And he really doesn't want to leave. And the dad doesn't want to leave. And so they do find a new place to live. It's not good. (laughs) That's good. But they deal with the emotions. They're not just, you know, it's not just... We're moving to a new house in a new town and everything's going swimmingly and it has four bedrooms and three and a half baths and right. we're it's a little deeper than that and so I I felt like yeah. it was a little more you know, you see in the dad and son are having fun together in their old house, but things are not, you know, they're not picture perfect. They Right. So I just loved that because because it's not this picture perfect. I'm just, we're just going to make some new friends and everything yeah. will be just fine. Right. Yeah. A lot of times it does seem a little tri- trite or trivial in how yeah. they handle the situation. Like, oh, you should just be cheerful when it's like, this is actually a really big loss. Like for a lot mm-hmm. of kids, this is the first large loss in their life mm-hmm. is moving and Eric's parents never moved his whole childhood. And when he was 11 and his sister was nine, I believe are the ages, his dad had the opportunity to get transferred to Switzerland. And it would have been a really good move for him career-wise. And they sat the kids down and they basically were like, you know, we want to hear what you guys have to say. Like, do you want to do you want to do this grand adventure? And they did not want to do the grand adventure. So they did not And Eric said that in retrospect, he kind of wonders if he was just being a butt because of his age. But at the same time, he's glad that they didn't go because it would have changed the course of our paths and we may not have met each other. Maybe you um, would have. Maybe we would have anyway. But either way, he always says that as someone on the spectrum, he feels that the stability of not moving around a lot when they were kids was really valuable to him. And that was something that he was hoping to offer our kids. And then, you know, life gets in our way, like the house fire. And uh-huh. and we, we did have that, you know, insecurity with housing because our house fire happened right after the derecho. And so there was no housing in our town available. Mm -hmm. And if we hadn't had his parents to move in with, like we would have been living in a hotel for four months waiting for a rental house to open here. And that would have been a really huge burden. (laughs) I don't know how we would have handled that trial with the five kids and you know, all all the pets. So we were really grateful that our cats could go live with you for that mm-hmm. year while we were rebuilding. And yeah, or the, the four months until we got the rental, we were able mm-hmm. to get the, the cats back for the rental. But it was just, it was, yeah. So I, I like the, the idea of that book. So I returned Sonia's chickens this week and you can <laughs> return that one and we'll put opposite holds on and get a chance to read the other ones too. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Did you have any other picture books this week? I had one other picture book and then a few more books that I finished, but I'll go with the other picture book right now. Um, This one was called Nature All Around Plants. It's a series. Our library doesn't have all of them, but they've got the tree one. And it is actually a little 
above my five-year-old's capabilities and below my 12-year-old's capabilities. So right Mm -hmm. in the middle of that would be the perfect range for this book. But it's gorgeous. Yeah. It is just gorgeous. And it's really gorgeous. Yeah. It's really only for North American people because it's Mm -hmm. mostly North American plants. But it's just it's just beautiful. It talks about plants that are common and plants that are less common in North America. Mm -hmm. So you get a very good range. But it it just parts of plants, plant reproduction, seeds. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Would you say that it's mostly northern plants or that it has southern North American plants too? Because I know there's a pretty strong line in grow areas. There are some southern. Some uh, of my friends in Texas are in the middle of their mulberry season right now. Like, I was like, "Mm, no, we're not getting mulberries for at least four months. (laughs) No, I did notice that some of the like southern plants grow in our zone. So I was like, so they, she, Hmm. they picked books or they picked plants that kind of overlap so we have it does talk about like all these insect eating plants are a lot more southern than northern but it has a lot of northern plants that i recognize and then it so it talks about the seasons and how how plants spread um but then it does have this growing zone and has a little footnote of different plants that grow in different areas so and about different you know, it's got the talks about cactuses and how they survive. And so it's definitely has northern and it the material for this book, they said in the beginning, originally came from a book about plants in Canada. So it definitely has mm. the northern aspect too. Right. But my five year old is enjoying it, although when I read to her about the plant's endosperms, yeah, I think she like has no idea what's going on. But the pictures are so beautiful; she loves it, and I'll have my twelve-year-old read it just for a review. Yeah, good. Well, since you were saying that that one's just like a little bit over her head, I'm going to recommend a book real fast. Okay, that I found today, and I don't have it on me, and so we will have to. Put a picture. Yeah, put a picture on the screen for people to see. But it is by Gerda Mueller. And she wrote those season books. I know you you were saying it's like a year around the oak. Is that what it's Yes, a year around the Great Oak, I think. A year around the Great Oak. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier this week. You and I were where do they go when it rains? Right. And then she has these season books, spring, summer, autumn, fall. And in those books, you can actually get them two ways. You can get them as board books where they're wordless, or there's one volume of it called A Circle of Seasons, and it's all four in one, and there's text. Oh, nice. So it's really pretty. And I was trying to figure out where her books were originally published because I was seeing publishers all over the place in Europe, but her name sounded German. And I did find two books that um, said that they were originally published in German. And so I'm, I'm assuming that all of them were first done there. So I found this book today and I really wish I could share pictures on here, but you guys can check our show notes and they will be in our notion table with sample pages. So you can see them there, but it's called a year in our new garden and it opens with a family moving and they have moved into a a larger town or village than they had lived in before. And they are in what we would consider to be a duplex. Like they have the downstairs and another family Mm -hmm. has the upstairs and there's this big walled in backyard and they move in and the little boy is kind of, you know, disgruntled and he's like, Oh, this place is a dump. (laughs) The mom's like, no, but we can do something with it. And so throughout the books, the grandparents come to visit And it's not super text heavy. Like I wouldn't say that it is one of those books where it's going to take you 40 minutes to read through. But what I really like is there's so much to look at in each picture, but Mm -hmm. it is a how-to manual. So it's a living book in the story feature, but it's also really broken down. Like they plot out their garden and it shows you how to draw out plots for your garden, like how to do the actual planning of a garden. And the boy wants to grow flowers and the girl wants to grow vegetables. 
And then they meet the little boy who lives upstairs and he has a balcony and he's in a wheelchair. And so all of his plants are in buckets, but he has some really good advice for them because he's been growing for a while with his little localized bucket gardening. And so the grandma comes and brings seeds and there's just all the different steps to the process are laid out so clearly. It kind of reminded me of the Linnea books, Mm -hmm. except better. Like I... Linnea's dead to me now. Like, this book is everything. (laughs) I just loved it so much. I love Gerda Mueller. Yes. Yes. There was so much to see in the pictures, and it just laid out the whole gardening process year-round. So it's a Four Seasons book. So if you're studying seasons, this would be a good thing to do. And we don't have a whole bunch of nature books or gardening books that focus on like what's available in Europe. And so this is this is a German based one, but it's it's republished a lot in Scotland and England. So I would assume they have similar mm-hmm. growing abilities or maybe they made a few adjustments in the text or illustrations. But it is great for planning out a garden, executing a garden, and then it even covers like drying your herbs. And nice. if there's an illustration of the little girl and her friends making Uh, leaf crowns then in the little corner there's a little pop-out box that um has you know very nicely illustrated like how to do this yourself how to make your own leaf crowns and I really appreciated it so I wasn't able to find a copy today but I'm definitely gonna start looking for a secondhand copy and maybe even see if any of the publishers we know are willing to republish this because it's beautiful I was gonna say where have you read this Internet Archive. So I read it on Internet Archive this morning, A Year in Our Garden by Gerda Mueller, who's the author and illustrator. I looked for that book at the library and our library didn't have it. And then I started looking online and the prices were a little steeper. So So we need to just get some people to start petitioning (laughs) their their publicists that they like to try to get these, these published again. So if you guys, listeners out there, know any publishers, we want this one published. Yeah. So you can talk to Jill at Purple House Press. You could talk to Anthony at you know, Living she Book has Press. That nature series. She might be willing to publish that. Yeah. So I I again I just read it this morning and so I haven't talked to anybody else about it, but I'm excited about it. I want to see it back in print for sure. Definitely. So yeah. But I have another picture book. So I think that this one would actually be really good for scaffolding. So if you want to read about an event or a type of event at a lower level, and then also with your older kids at a higher level, this would be a good way to do it. So this one is Irina's Jars of Secrets. Are you familiar with this? So I've she- read a similar book. but Yeah. I-, I read a similar book last year as well. I liked this one because I felt that the illustrations in it were a little darker, like not heavier, darker, but just they didn't exude happiness and warmth like you're you're in the warsaw ghetto it shouldn't be cheerful colors like everyone is sick everyone is Mm -hmm. starving they're plotting in secret they're dealing with the grief of trying to convince parents to give them their children not knowing if they will get them again so they can sneak them out and on this page the mother flat out asks if we give you our daughter can you promise us she'll live and i appreciated irena's honesty And she said, no, but if she stays here, she will surely die. And Mm -hmm. um, so what Irina was doing was she was smuggling people out with a small team. And she, the thing that she promised the parents was she would keep track of their names. She would keep track of their current given name and their parents. And then she would keep track of their new name in their placement. And because, you know, most of them were passing as Christians being put in Christian families and hiding that they were Jewish yeah. so that they could not get rounded up again. And mm-hmm. so she she had these jars hidden under her friend's apple tree just across the street from the Nazis <laughs> headquarters. <laughs> and she would dig them up at night and add new information and bury them again. And then she she got arrested. And for a very long time, she was arrested being questioned for days or months or weeks or something like an extended period of time. They really wanted the information she had. And she knew that that information needed to, right? This is world war two. Yeah. And she, so everyone that stayed in that ghetto did die at the end. And so like the children mm-hmm. that they got out are who lived and they got out a whole lot more than I realized they had, like than I had internalized from the other book that I'd read. 
but she she doesn't give up the information and she's executed or so you think that's what the germans announced but really her people were able to bribe <laughs> pay a big enough bribe to get her back and she just went into hiding until the end of the war mm-hmm. at which point she came and dug up the jars and the majority of the children were now orphans because their parents oh. had not survived the holocaust but the ones that the few that did survive were able to be reunited and the ones that were orphans were able to have record of their real names and mm-hmm. But she knew that if she gave up the information, it would cost all the people in the smuggling ring. It would cost all the children their lives. And it would cost all the families that were housing the children their lives. And so she was like, my life is not worth that trade. (laughs) And I just really appreciated it. But in contrast, so if I was scaffolding this type of story up, I would go from this to the Spies of the World series with Edith Cavell. Mm-hmm. And her story, which was World War One, and she was a nurse, and she was smuggling all of the um, a lot of soldiers. She was smuggling soldiers mm-hmm. through and out. And I just felt that their character was very similar in how they were portrayed and the just the backbone that they had and the resolve. And Mm -hmm. their ability to see the bigger picture and understand what sacrifice meant going into it and being willing to pay that price so that Mm -hmm. others could live. And so I, I, that other book that I just mentioned, the Edith Cavell in the Spies of the World series, it's harder to find. I do believe it's available on Internet Archive, but I'm not positive off the top of my head. But I cried so hard at the end of that book. First of all, I did not remember from my childhood studies what the catalyst events were for World War I starting. And so the book had covered that, which was good. But then at the end, what I did not realize was that, so Edith Cavell is executed and her execution was publicized worldwide. And everyone felt that the people who had executed her had lacked so much honor in executing a woman and a nurse <laughs> at that, that it it was the driving force for the majority of the volunteer soldiers that came from the United States was oh. at, at the beginning, like when, when the United States joined World War One, that was that was a huge triggering event was oh. her execution. And a lot of the men here saying we can't stand for that and volunteering and being able to go over and start fighting. So I read that book to anybody who would listen to me. Like I had a flight right after I finished it. So I read it to the people on the flight next to me. I read the last (laughs) one. It's so beautiful, isn't it? The guy's like, that really is a very good story. Oh man. Oh wow. See, some people get off by just getting a book recommendation from me. Other people they hear the Have book from me. To the book? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Captive so audience. With- That's what you get for having the window seat. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> That's true. So on those lines, Addie and I finished The Ark and Rowan Farm. We've been reading those for a while. And that also yeah has a missing child that the child didn't have the name. It has a couple missing children, but it's from the German. The ger- There's uh, two children. There's a child in the Ark, and then later in Rowan Farm, and then in Rowan Farm, there's another child where they have a hard time locating the parents because children don't know their name mm. or they're too right. young to know their name. And so that happens. Yeah. Among the German people, too, where these children were just getting lost because people didn't know whose they were. And yeah, yeah. so we finished that this week, and that was really good, too. But those are available, mm-hmm. thankfully, on Purple House Press because they were unicorns and very yeah, hard to find. they really were. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. I. I enjoyed learning about the German, although it doesn't have anything about the war itself and the reasons that Germany was fighting in World War II. It kind of more talks about the civilian 
parents who mm-hmm. who didn't really have any connection to the war other than suffering from the consequences of it as well. Right. Yeah, so. it is very interesting to see the the post-World War II rebuilding mm-hmm. aspect in Germany. Yes. When it's not as much focused on, like, the Berlin Wall. So this is, like, yes. right after the war, like, immediately following. Mm-hmm. My daughter and I had a really good conversation about what inflation is. <laughs> because we talked about uh, the money becoming worthless. Yeah. And then we've had nothing but inflation in the news lately, too. Right, so. right. Well, these, honey. Uh, these books and current events just speak to each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have... I have another one here that I read. So I've been seeing a lot of picture books being published that focus on the relationship between children that are growing up in America and grandparents that are growing up in the homelands. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I've seen have all been based in Asian families that are coming to mind. So then it's generally like the grandchild goes to visit Taiwan or China or Korea but I found this one that I really liked. And this is where the, the grandparent is here with the family, but doesn't speak English. It's called Drawn Together by, I believe, Min Lee. And then the Caldecott medalist, Dan Santet, illustrated it. And I love his illustrations. They're just fantastic all the time. But in this, it It's a little boy and his grandfather. And most of those other books that I've been seeing are little girls and their grandmothers. So it was nice to have that representation. But it's almost a graphic novel. Like the style is very graphic novel-y. And there's just minimal text. So the first few pages are mostly them. Just he's gotten dropped off at his grandpa's by his mom. And he's just sitting there. And you can see that every time they try to talk to each other. It's a foreign language that's coming out for, well, let's see if I go back a page, I think maybe we can see better. It's a foreign language coming out from the grandfather in response mm-hmm. to what his grandson says. So there's just this cultural divide and then this communication gap. And I think it's so cute. The, the grandpa just like looking side eye at the grandkid, like he wants to connect and just can't figure out how to do it. And so the, little boy gets bored watching TV and goes and starts drawing. And the grandfather is excited about the little boy's drawing. And he comes back with his sketchbook and his ink pot and calligraphy pens, like the, you know, the big ones. And he says, right. The little boy says, right. When I gave up on talking, my grandfather surprised me by revealing a world beyond words. And in a flash, we see each other. For the first time and so you have like his drawings that he was doing and then his grandfather's drawings and how they're meeting mm. in the middle through their art and so then they basically have this grand adventure that they go on based on the art it says that they build a world that even words can't describe but that just when they're closer than ever that old distance which a lot of kids can relate to, you know, the old distance comes roaring back. And he says, but this time he's not afraid because he knows that they have this thing in common. And he knows that together that they can make the way across. So they're like running mm-hmm. towards each other. And that after years of try- of searching for the right words, we find ourselves happily speechless. And it's just, it's beautiful telling of finding ways to connect to the people that we love in ways that aren't verbal when that's not an option. And I think that this is a good, a good book for, you know, for who it was written for, right? So for families where there's like a language Mm -hmm. divide, but I also think that it could be very good for families where there's a grandparent with dementia Mm -hmm. because the fact that he's able to like rest in, his understanding of their connection that's there. Like that was really, that concept was comforting to me when my grandma got dementia of just knowing that like, even though we couldn't connect now and she didn't really seem to know who I was, I knew that she knew who I was and I knew that I knew who she was and that this was just something in the way of that. And so it was, it made it a lot easier to be patient and understanding with, 
with just the things that were the disease that were coming out of her mouth, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that it could be, it could be good for kids that are in multi-generational families where there's a grandparent who is not themselves anymore, as well as when there's a grandparent that they just can't understand for language barrier reasons, but it's beautifully illustrated. So if you have little kids that want graphic novels to look at that are just, you know, really young and in picture book form, Drawn Together is a very, very lovely one. Nice. You said you had other books that you'd finished reading? I do have other books. I finished The Thief. That was the one that your librarian recommended, right? This is the one that my librarian recommended after we, our whole household went through the False Prince series. I read it, (laughs) then I got it for my 12-year-old, then my husband did the audiobooks. Nice. Uh, So he saw we were checking him out over and over again. And so we recommended The Thief. And it was good. Uh, It has some swearing. And it wasn't quite as positive as the Mm -hmm. False Print series. So it's a little darker and not as funny. Hmm. So More drama, less humor. More drama, less humor. There, There was one thing that really surprised me in comparison. To that one was when a bad person dies, it was more like, oh, they got what they deserved instead of there Mm -hmm. being some sadness or just regret for a life poorly lived. So of the two, I would definitely recommend the False Prince series over The Thief. But if you want more, then The Thief might be a good fit for you. If and you're okay with the swearing. And, and so, like, while the False Prince theor- series was appropriate for your 12-year-old, you wouldn't hand this series to her. You would probably I wait a few years. I would wait a little bit. There wasn't a lot of swearing, but there was enough swearing. And then it's also a polytheistic religious system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. The uh, the names sound very Greek and, and the polytheistic religious system really draws on that kind of theme so there's that that was i finished that mm-hmm. and i finished in grandma's more stories from grandma's attic which is a lot more <laughs> uplifting <laughs> and i was not going to finish this i read some of these stories out loud to my mom and then i wasn't going to finish it but then i was like oh this could be my humor book for the reading yeah. challenge so Good. i did finish it because of that but then i I just kept this next to my bed for when I needed something lighthearted. And so it was unexpectedly a blessing on some, after some rough days when I just needed something joyful. I knew I could pick this up and it would bring me some joy. Yeah. It's definitely a delightful series. (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah. I remember those from when I was younger. They're very quick reads, which. I actually. They are. I actually yeah. gave the first one. <laughs> I thought you were going to my... contradict me, and I was like, oh, "No, no, are we they are the same book." Okay, <laughs> yes, they are. I actually gave the first one to my grandma because I struggle. I love giving books as gifts, and I struggle sometimes. People who maybe want Amish romances and don't have a lot of range <laughs> outside of that. Yeah. So I thought, well, she'll like this. It's very, you know, she grew up on a ranch. In this mm-hmm. time period, you know, in kind of this, not quite as early as this, but right. nearly. So I thought, I'll give her this. It's, it is it is from a Christian point worldview, and I thought she would love it. And she was like, oh, actually, I already read all these. <laughs> Shoot, I need to find something else. <laughs> so, Of course she would have. Of course. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Did you have any other books? I did have... So I have two more that Amber said she was going to bring up books that that maybe didn't get the press time, but should be brought back to our consciousnesses. Conscience? Yes, I, I know. Girl. Like when I told you about the theme, I was like, oh, I think we should talk about books that don't get the the you know attention that they deserve and then I realized all of my books like that are still in storage and I'm slowly unpacking and I was like I can't find any of the ones that I'm thinking about so anyway yeah sorry so 
I pulled some off my shelf and yes. then I was like, mine are all in boxes anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about <laughs> Charlotte's Web. <laughs> so I have mine. So I've got two more that I wanted to share. And yeah. the first one was A Green and Ancient Light. I feel like this one got a lot of publicity when it was published in 2016 and then kind of fell off the face of the earth. I haven't seen it discussed. It's by Durbin, right? It is by Frederick S. Durbin. Yeah. And it is set in a World War II-like time period. It's very unspecific. It could... Okay. <laughs> it's very unspecific. It was written as if it could take place for anyone, anywhere in a similar time period. The child goes to live with his grandmother during this war. They're are bombings where he's from so they think the countryside will be more safe but then there is a bomber an enemy bomber that goes down in this forest near the town near the little village and so then there's this fear that this enemy is in their territory and so it's goes quill it really quickly from like feeling kind of historical fictiony to fantasy hmm. and then there's this mysterious garden with statues and there's riddles and there's a lot of fantasy thrown in nice. so it i feel like i'm falling upon all these books with riddles in them lately and i'm really enjoying them so it's definitely more of an adult book i'd say mm-hmm. but it is very interesting and it really stuck with me and i don't even know why it just did yeah it's one of those so it's an adult book but what about the 16 and up crowd i think it should be fine for the 16 there's definitely no like sexuality at all uh the main character is like nine or ten mm-hmm. there's some like wounds that are <laughs> not graphic but not no wounds are worse than Echo Mountain. That's like my new <laughs> definitely <laughs> my not new that guide bad, stick. If you're like, I faint at someone telling me about a little bit of blood, you yeah. don't want to pass yeah. this by. But uh, it's, I can't remember any swearing, but do not hold me to that because my memory's not great as far as that. There wasn't enough that it was off-putting to me. But it's very interesting. and. I was not expecting fantasy when I, I didn't, I often don't read the dust jacket description before I start a book because I don't like surprises. So I wasn't expecting fantasy till I got there and it was like, oh, oh, this is like going a different way than I thought. But oh, it was funny. It was a good adult fantasy because it's yeah. a little more realism thrown in with it. But the other book that I feel like doesn't get a lot of time in people's recommendations is the Elliott Family Trilogy by Elizabeth Gouge. I feel like everyone says start with Green Dolphin Street. And And you think they're wrong? I think this is a better place to start. Green Dolphin Street, I have a hard time with characters that aren't very likable. Hmm. And one of the three main characters is just... She reminds me of, is it in Proverbs, where they talk about a nagging wife is like a dripping... Yeah, quarrelsome wife. It's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. There is a quarrelsome wife in that book (laughs) that never repents. So it's a little harder for me to connect with books that have just characters like that. This one, definitely adult. It's definitely an adult series. Elizabeth Gouge makes you feel things. Mm -hmm. And life is not, life is messy in Gouge books. Mm -hmm. And people are sinful. And in this series in particular, it is majorly addressed. And there's major repentance. So there's a lot of hope because things... Mm -hmm when you see like true repentance and turning from dark sins, it's, there's a lot of pain, a lot yeah. of feeling, but a lot of hope. So that's good. 
Definitely sounds so, like an adult book. It's an adult book. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that goes along with the theme of like good, true, and beautiful books, right? Like mm-hmm. true is messy. True is ugly. Is. True is like not great a whole lot of the time, but it's true. And so like we can't we can't pretend it doesn't exist and can't pretend that it's not not real. And then then being able to see somebody come to repentance and come through it is very mm-hmm. good modeling mm-hmm. as well that we miss miss a lot otherwise and they're especially this type of situation it's i've I've had friends go through very similar things mm-hmm. and it's really hard it's hard to take the path that they take in this book yeah and so it's not a path that you see very often taken in this book so it's really good modeling and yeah well, I want to read them now, and I didn't before, so. <laughs> you should read them. You should read it's them. A, but just it's another one of those books with really tiny type. I, I'm getting to the age where I feel like I need, like, large print books bad. when I want to go through them. It's not that bad. Just you <laughs> maybe, might want something. Maybe if happy. I, like, picked up the paperback that's, like, you know, the small paper, then it's, like, super tiny. So I guess I probably need the hard copy size. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just you might want something lighthearted, too, to go along with it, just in yeah. case it gets too heavy. Because it makes you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Always good. Well, thank you very much for sharing those. And thank you to our listeners for listening to us share. We appreciate you spending time with us today. We encourage you to look at the show notes for further information about the books and authors that we covered today. They will be in the Stories from the Ashes database, which is separate from the Reshelving Alexandria database. If you've been playing around on that one, this one is just the books that we mentioned here on our show. So if you have a show in mind and you're like, oh, I remember they talked about this type of thing, you can go search search the Stories of the from the Ashes database and find the book that you're looking for, hopefully. So please click follow or subscribe. And if you want to talk with either of us about good books, you can usually find us through Reshelving Alexandria on Facebook and Instagram. Have a good week. And remember, the stories are truer than true.